thank you for your kindness to us, allowing us to be before you in worship, to exalt the name of Christ for the work you've done in our lives, God. And we pray that all the more in this time of word that you use this truth and your spirit to equip us all the more unto obedience. Obedience as a body gathered, obedience as individuals and the various places you've called us in life. God, we need conviction today. And God, we ask that you bring it. Even the pain that comes with conviction, God, we ask that you bring it, God. And unto that conviction, Lord, we pray for maturity and wisdom and growth and the balm of Christ and our wounds. And so, God, we pray that you grow us by this word unto faithfulness in daily living. Help us to be a church of quiet obedience, as your word calls us to. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, welcome today, and a special welcome to those who are watching online or uh, may at a later time. Today we're beginning a brief series on the importance of attending to our own lives and our own uh, spiritual maturity in light of the temptation that can come sometimes to dwell upon the lives of others. This is a series I think I mentioned about four weeks ago and I've uh, touched back on noting. And so today we begin, it'll be probably about three weeks, uh, could be four weeks, we'll see how it all unfolds. But today we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, in a message entitled, A Quiet Life. And so you're welcome to turn uh, in your Bible today, again, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As I prepared this uh, message, I, I read a story um, that was interesting. It was uh, a story from 1887. The coffin of Abraham Lincoln was pried open to determine if it contained his body. And what makes that act so remarkable is the fact that Lincoln's body had rested in the coffin at that point for 22 years, and his burial at the time it occurred had been witnessed by people who were there to see his body in the coffin and then see the coffin go into the grave. But even more amazing than that in this 22-year time period, and it's opened up again, is that 14 years after Lincoln's burial a rumor circulated that Lincoln's coffin was actually empty. And so it had been seen, his body had been seen in the coffin, it had been lowered into the grave, and then some years later somebody came up and said that his body wasn't in the coffin. And so there was a focus on that, and it gripped the land. It was a talk of the nation at the time that it was occurring, and the only way to silence it was to dig up the coffin again, to pop it open, and as you'd imagine, Lincoln's body was inside. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 11 through 12. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, other versions say own business, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We are reminded from the account that I shared with you about Abraham Lincoln that when we focus on the rumors 
and the have-truths, even just the lives of others, oftentimes nonsense swirls around and we ourselves become ineffective for the kingdom of God because our own testimony becomes tarnished and our ability to proclaim the gospel becomes hampered. And it's against that truth and that backdrop today that Paul offers the perspective for how to live that we just read in these two verses. To focus on our own affairs, our own business, as given by our God, and really that alone in this life. To focus upon our God and to focus upon the work that he has given us to do in our lives. And so as we think on that and we consider that point this morning, our first point of focus is this, that we are to choose as believers a quiet life. We'll draw our attention to verse 11. Now Paul gives us a clue as to why he gives this direction to this church in this city in chapter 3. He says this, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Some that walk among you in a disorderly manner. They are busybodies. So people in the church who are focused on other issues and not their own attention to their own lives. And so evidently in this city, in Thessalonica, there is something going on where there are people inside of the church who have, according to chapter 3, this also is noted in the book of Titus, they've, they've sort of pulled back on their own work and they've begun to concentrate their attention on the lives and the work of other people inside of the church. And so Paul communicates this message against that backdrop. He's saying there's some of you who have chosen instead of focusing on what God's given you to do, you've drawn your attention to what God has given others to do, and in doing that you begin to have discussions and make commentary that is not of God and is in fact dangerous for God's kingdom. And so in verse 11 the word aspire is used here. This is a word in Greek that means to strive earnestly, to be zealous for, to make something the passion of your life, to aspire to give great passion to, to make this the goal of your life. And what is that goal? To live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. And evidently this is going to take work to do. It's going to take work to live a quiet life. It's going to take work to work with your hands, to mind your own affairs. Meaning it's easy instead to not do the things we ought to do. It's easy instead to focus our attention on the affairs of others. It's easy instead to live a life that is boisterous and a life that draws attention to ourselves. But it's going to take work. It's going to take aspiration. It's going to take the Spirit of God empowering us to live a life which is quiet, where we mind our own affairs and we work with our hands. So live quietly here. This first note, there's really three things hit on here. Uh, this first note of quiet living means to live with tranquility and to re live restfully. So follow me here to live with tranquility and to live restfully, meaning not given to a great fluctuation in emotional expression, to not be given to a great fluctuation in emotional expression because people who have faith in God and are drawing their attention not to the business of others, not to the troubles of the world, but just trusting and believing that God is with them and has something he is desiring for them to do. Christians who have that kind of focus find a life really of content, contentedness. We talked about this in a different sermon series, you may recall. You can check it out online if you haven't heard it. We talked about how a Christian life is really a life of contentedness, not great highs, really not great lows, 
uh, but a life just of contentedness. Will there be times of great high shore? Will there be times of lows? Absolutely. But the bulk of a Christian life is a life that is quiet and steady, restful and peaceful. And why is that? Not because a Christian says to themselves, I want to be restful and peaceful, but because their faith in God and their focus on their own affairs in their life leads to a life of peacefulness and tranquility. And so what are we to focus on? Well, the Word says here, to mind our own affairs, as our series says, to mind our own business, meaning we are not in other people's business, but to draw our attention to our own work, the things that God has given us to do. What is the business of our life? Well, sometimes business is that God has called you to do something specific in vocation, sometimes in the raising of your family, sometimes in volunteering somewhere. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, draw your attention down on whatever that is and knowing that God is with you. The Bible says to stop essentially being nosy. Don't draw your attention or allow your attention to be drawn to matters that do not concern you because it only creates more problems in your life and in the lives of those who you're focusing on and certainly in the life of the church. Many people want to know other people's business not to help, but just to know it. Sometimes they might intersect those things. They want to help a little bit, but they also just want to know about it. When your mind is set on Christ, you won't have time to meddle in another person's business because you will be working. And that's the third focus there, to work with your hands. And one reason is so that we will not be a burden to others. We're reminded of that in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Titus, in First uh, Thessalonians, that we ought to do the things we need to do so we're not a burden on other people. The Bible also says that when a need arises, we'll be able to help meet it if we've done the work that we need to do to take care of our own self and our family. We'll have the means to help those in need. And we will be occupied, as we ought to be, with the affairs that God has given us to do with our life. One pastor shared this list of why having our attention on other people's business is dangerous. First, it's evil. How else would you describe an act that's so often included among lists of sinful acts in Scripture? We see it in Romans 1.29, 2 Corinthians 12.20, 1 Timothy 5.13. In fact, gossip is really the word that we might draw our attention to. is sometimes included as a mark of lostness, as a matter of fact. That if we have this besetting sin of gossip in our life, it may be a sign that we do not know Christ. It's idolatrous. Gossips love having information, even if it's wrong and harmful. They even get angry if others have information they don't have. Having the dirt becomes their god. It becomes an idol. It's self-centered. Those who put their attention on others are always in the middle of everything. And if they're not in the middle, they talk about those who are in order to draw attention back themselves. It's divisive. Talking about other people behind their back never promotes unity, especially when the conversations take place in the back room or in the church parking lot. It's often deceptive. Sometimes the reported information is cloaked in a prayer request. Now, I don't want to spread rumors, but we need to pray for blank because of blank. That's a lie. It harms reputations. It takes only one rumor to harm a brother or sister, and it's tough to overcome once that rumor 
is out. We only weaken the family of God through gossip and we harm other people's lives and livelihood. Some of you know that from your own story. It destroys trust. Here's where gossips are often so focused on spreading their news that they miss their own foolishness. They may, may be trying to hurt others, but their reputation itself is damaged when they continue to talk about the affairs of other people and they're viewed as untrustworthy. It's a stumbling block by others here, meaning the people who listen to this testimony that's given for no good cause. It damages them. It's addictive. It's almost never good news. Rarely do you hear somebody come up and say, I want to tell you something amazing somebody did. That doesn't happen too much, does it? It indicates hypocrisy in the church. James puts it this way, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When the same tongue blesses God and curses others, hypocrisy is in the church, James tells us. And it risks God's judgment. Jesus told us that we'll answer for every single word we speak out of our mouths. Every word. We're told that in Matthew 12. Gossips who continue to spread this pattern are inviting judgment, and judgment not just on them, but judgment on the church as well. And so what can we do to apply this to our lives, this call, the backdrop again being that this was going on in the church and Paul's drawing their attention back to these points to live a quiet life and to do the work that God's given you instead of being consumed by the affairs of others. How do we apply this to our lives? This is what we call the why, what, and how. Why does this matter? What do we do about it? And how do we do it? Why does this matter? Because we've got enough to think and enough to do. We are called daily to worship our God, every single one of us, not just Sunday morning. We are called to be in the Word every day and to be in prayer every day. We are called to work for pay or volunteering or raising our families. That right there is enough. If we're doing the things that God has called us to do, that's enough to consume our whole attention, our time, our focus. And so this matters because we have enough to do already. And so what do we do? If we've gotten time to focus, listen to me, and speak on the lives of others, it means we're failing somewhere else in our life. Because if our life is enough with just worship of God and service unto his name and rest and caring for our own selves, and yet we've got time to talk about the lives of others and insert ourselves into our affairs. That means that time that God has given for other purposes is being used for nonsense. And that means we're failing somewhere else. If this is true in your life, I bet your health is suffering somehow or you haven't personally shared the gospel outside of the church recently or your children aren't specifically and directly being discipled. But if you always know what's going on in the lives of others and you're thinking about it and you're talking about it, you're using time God meant for you to focus on you and the calling that he's given you on your life. And so how do we do it? Well, we need to begin to think I've shared this acronym in a previous sermon here at Starnes Cove. I used to teach our youth it as well. It's not something I created. It's certainly out there, and its roots are in the Scripture. Questions to ask ourselves when we begin to talk about the business of other people. First is this. Is it true? Is what I'm hearing true? And truth is predicated upon facts. Truth is not predicated upon somebody just saying something out loud. So is it true? 
Is it helpful? If I talk about this as my aim to help the people involved in whatever the situation is, including in my own life, you know, we can gossip to people about ourselves as well. It doesn't inspire them. Now, inspiration here isn't some like flighty terminology that we might hear out in the culture. It means, does this conversation inspire righteousness? Does it inspire repentance? Does it inspire people unto good work? Is it necessary for me to talk about or someone else attending to this who is responsible for it? And then finally, is it kind? If I determine I do need to share, am I doing so in a way that's balanced, kind, and faithful in love? If the answer to any of these questions is no, then don't talk about it until you can wind up in a place where the answer is yes and then get back to work on growing your own knowledge of God and growing your own faith in God, caring for your own affairs that God has given you to do. Because here's why this matters very much, our second point this morning. Our life is our testimony. Looking at chapter 4, Uh, Verse 12 in 1 Thessalonians. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so again, there were people in uh, this church, in this city, who were caught in the middle of focusing on the lives of others and were inevitably not taking care of their own responsibilities. And Paul is saying, if you work, don't concern yourself with the lives of others unrighteously. And your life, if you do this, will be a quiet life. And as non-believers observe that life, people who don't know Christ observe your life, they'll see a person trusting God and serving Him and being gracious to others and taking care of themselves. And when they observe a life like that, that's what will draw them to the gospel. God forbid we sing a song of praise and our life doesn't look like Christ calls us to. God forbid we go out in the world and say, I love Jesus, and yet our life is full of unrepented sin. Jesus died for this sin we're talking about today, but really all sin according to the word on the cross, that you can live a life free of gossip, free of laziness, free of these other things that God is calling you and I away from. He means for you to live a life of liberty, a life of rest, a life not drawn up and wound up in other people's affairs, but instead in the work that he's given you to do. And we find that when we come to believe in Jesus, we come to accept him as our Savior. He tells us we become a new creation, not a creation that is wound up in the business of others, but instead about the work of our Father, as Christ said. So we can joyfully and quietly serve him. One young Christian woman put it this way, we've failed to communicate the value in working a non-glamorous eight-to-five job, or again, if you volunteer, that as well, coming home to a quiet, empty house, maybe cooking a basic dinner for one or two or a few. There's nothing very exciting about spending most of the day in a cubicle and eating your lunch there and going home and playing cards with a family member or two. But it's those same people who are investing in friendships, those same people doing that kind of quiet life who are serving in a local church and faithfully showing up every day to a job that just pays the bills and doing their best. Most of us, again, continuing this woman's quote, most of us won't get a book deal 
base it on our personal ideas or write a Facebook post that goes viral or even give up everything to move to the heart of Africa to share the gospel. Instead, we'll live humble lives with an influence that extends to our friends, extends to our family and maybe a spouse and children. That's no less valuable in God's kingdom and no less powerful of a testimony to a hurting world. Don't be ashamed of your quiet, small life. And if you wrestle with this particular focus we're talking about today, don't be ashamed of a life where you're not in the middle of everything that's going on. But instead, use your life to glorify God and use your mundane and ordinary and day-in, day-out faithfulness to Christ to speak truth by how you live. And so what do we do? This is our why, what, and how for this point. Why does this matter? Because a quiet life is a faithful one, according to the testimony of the Scripture, and that is universally true for every person who knows Jesus. It's one that's satisfied in obeying God, not gossip. It's one content in obedience, not entertainment and sloth. It's one that draws glory to heaven, not to oneself. And so what do we do? We are called to search our own hearts. Do you love to be in the know? Or do you sometimes imply, well, I need to know because I want to help, but in reality, if you're honest, there's a place in your heart where you just want to know. Or do you love to know the Lord all the more? That is the contrast and the question. You can say, again, it's about helping and supporting, but is it? That's something for you and God to navigate in your prayer. And so how do we do that? Well, first we begin with this, asking God to convict us of sin. Maybe it's that you're lazy and unwilling to work as you ought to, whether for pay or, again, just volunteering where you can. Maybe you are consumed with the business of others and you've masked it with some righteous explanation, which, as an aside, can be true sometimes. Sometimes people have sin in their life and it needs to be confronted, but that is done in an orderly and biblical fashion. And there is a prescription in the Word of God for that purpose. Maybe you've shared news about someone you don't know and you don't actually know is true. This is about your witness today. You hear me? Verse 12, this is about the testimony of your life today. This is about your effectiveness to bring the gospel to the nations. This is not just an opinion shared, but this is a true word given to you and I. Because God has a way he wants you to live this life, and that includes a testimony which communicates this truth. I'm satisfied in Christ. And my life is not made up of anything but seeking after God and doing the work he's given me. That is the testimony of a faithful Christian, a quiet life, a quiet life about the business God's given us, not about the business of others. That's a testimony of faithfulness. Jesus died for this sin in your life or whatever sin that you are dealing with. He went to the cross for it and rose from the grave for it so that you and I can be forgiven for it. As a brother reminded me this morning, not just forgiven, but that we can change in the spirit of God's work in us. And if you don't know Christ today, here is the truth. He wants to remove this sin from your life or any other sin you're encountering in your life so that you too can have a quiet 
faithful, dedicated, simple, basic, not flashy, not attention-getting life. And in that life, God will first bless you, certainly. But when people finally draw their attention away from all the bombast of our culture and they begin to look for examples of faithfulness, they'll see your life. And they'll be drawn to the gospel because of it. And Jesus wants you to have that kind of life. That's his plan for you. And if you don't know him today and you want to live in that truth, you can know him. He has died for your sin, risen on the cross. Excuse me, risen from the grave for your life. So that you can know him and you can live a faithful life, seeking him obediently and knowing him all the more to experience that quiet and ordinary but joyful life. During this closing song that we will sing, if you want to come and pray, the steps here are open. You can pray certainly in your seat as well. I'll be down front here and I'll pray with you over repentance today of sin in your life. I'll pray with you over coming to know Christ if you don't know him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this true word that you've prepared for us. God, we ask that you convict us and remind us of your mercy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.